The following podcast contains explicit language. With the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited credit card, you get unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase. It's so simple, you don't even have to think about it. So think about opening your shop early. Earlier. Don't think about the 1.5% cash back. Think about automating some of your operations. Think about delivering across town, across country, across oceans. Think about every part of your business, except the one part that works without a thought. Your Inc. Business Unlimited card. Learn more at chase.com slash inc. Restrictions and limitations apply. Offer subject to change. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. As a sniper, I knew exactly where I wanted to be. Turns out it was a Taliban schoolhouse, which uh, was nearly my downfall. As if a conductor had just clicked his fingers and said, Now, we got hit with a weight of fire I have never experienced. A sniper rifle is excellent when it's used as a sniper rifle, but in a sustained contact, it's, it's, it's useless. I'm in a bad way here because I'm surrounded. Then I just felt like, honestly, like I'd been struck by lightning through one ear and out the other. feel the holes and I can feel blood and I look down and there's blood all over my glove and I'm like wow shot in the neck I'm like I know what this means you know I've probably got three minutes left you need to go out for a bang people go oh you're so brave no 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 it's an ego thing I knew exactly who had shot me I was like that okay got the drop on me you think yeah let's let's take as many of them as you can Over the first half dozen or so episodes of Battle Scars, we've heard about how war can strengthen a soldier's faith in God, how witnessing the aftermath of battles can be as bad as being in the fight itself, and how a life of combat can affect not only the soldier, but also the families they leave behind. All of it pretty heavy stuff. All of it pretty emotional stuff. As complicated as the aftermath of war is, in the moment, It's exciting and primal. War can be a rush like nothing else on Earth. That's why after over a decade of war, some of us feel more comfortable in a combat zone than back home. Some of us war only when it's necessary. Some of us are better at it than others. And some of us thrive in it. British Army sniper Simon Maloney definitely thrives. We don't like sitting around. That's why we joined. We wanted to get stuck in. Everyone cannot wait to get out there. We love it. Wives and families, not so much, you know. Now, don't think for a second that Simon has some reckless death wish. War requires professional warriors. He's not some half-assed, barely qualifying on the range marksman. He is a professional soldier with a cavalry regiment that proudly traces its roots back centuries He's just fully embraced the culture of war, and he is comfortable with the violence required for him to take on an entire enemy force almost single-handedly, while being totally sure in his mind that he's already mortally wounded and would probably drop dead any second. You think, I've got three minutes left to live. Let's take as many of them as you can. I accepted death. I thought that was it. Well, my little brother's going to hear about this and how I went down. And I was like, he's not going to hear that, you know, I was bitching around and praying for a bit more time. I was like, yeah, I need to go out and get to work. This is Battle Scars. 
and I'm Tom Tran. I served in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq, and took a sniper's bullet to the back of my head my fourth day in country. It's been over a decade since that gunfight, and I've told that story hundreds of times. There's still things about my life in combat that I haven't shared with anyone. And in this show, I talk to other veterans of our recent wars and maybe put into words some of those things that we've never said about those experiences. Tell me if you can still hear Tom. Yeah, I can still hear Tom. All right, so you want to be about... Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah, you can sit back a little bit. From the moment I met Simon, I recognized the look in his eyes. I've seen it dozens of times before in other professional warriors. Quietly amped up, but ready to flip his selector switch from safe to semi at the drop of a dime. The energy drink in his hand had nothing to do with it. That was merely lubrication. Hell, he had literally just separated from the army the day before we spoke. Yesterday was my last day in the army. Yesterday? Uh, that's why I'm looking a little bit worse for wear. I had my leaving drinks last night, so uh, as you can imagine. So you are fresh out. Yeah, yeah, fresh out. Your haircut looks like somebody who's been out for like six months already. The sergeant major the last couple of months was like a bit of a cat and mouse when he saw me around camp, like trying to catch me with it with my hair or whatever. How much shit does a sergeant major give you after you've been shot in the neck? Because I can tell you, after I got shot in Iraq... No sergeant majors would say a damn thing to me. Like, they're like, that's the dude that got shot in the head. So just leave him alone. No, I get left alone. He's quite good. <laughs> Simon's story took place on July 4th, 2013 in Afghanistan. On that mission, like most other missions that he'd operated on, he was the designated sharpshooter. Part of a two-man sniper team whose job it was to engage the Taliban fighters and pick off targets before they could attack his comrades closer to the action. They relied on the intel that told them that the building Simon had picked as his sniper's nest was clear to use. That intel was wrong. While the spot Simon picked was tactically a good position, it also held a huge symbolic value for the local Taliban, and they wanted it back. And the only thing between dozens of Taliban and that building were Simon and his mate. Too bad for the Taliban. The job was going to a place called Yakshal. We'd been to Yakshal before. We knew it was a bad place. You know the certain place you're going to go is going to get punchy. So we knew we were going to get into a scrap. Every time you went in there, you went in there fighting and you came out fighting. There had been an Afghan operation in there before. Afghan army had gone and cleared it. We were going to go in and just confirm that it had been cleared. Obviously, later found out that it hadn't been cleared at all. The Taliban just came back, as they always do. Now, walk me up to the schoolhouse. It was an early drop. Uh, I think we landed at maybe 2, 3 in the morning. Myself as a sniper, I knew exactly where I wanted my team to be. My job was going to be on the outskirts of Yakshal, looking in to give those guys cover when they were clearing through um, a little string of compounds. Yeah, thought I'd found the best position for that. Turns out it was old school house, which uh, was nearly my downfall. <laughs> now, what did the schoolhouse look like? Because in my head, I saw that scene from, from Saving Private Ryan with the guy up in the bell tower. Like, what did this old school house look like? So old school house was a, a huge compound. It was the biggest in that area. It had the highest roof as well, which obviously gives more of a commanding view. I mean, so by the book, it looked like the perfect spot for you as a sniper. Going in, I was happy with the plan. Textbook, as you say. You know, sometimes you do things, you're like, this is a bit of a risk, but operationally, yeah, needs must, you, you'll do it. But to be honest, there was no cause for concern whatsoever. 
other than the fact that we didn't know at the time the old schoolhouse was like the Taliban schoolhouse. So that was where they would meet. We didn't have that intelligence though. So, you know, I've gone in and sort of set up and where I thought was best. And actually I've gone in and, and set up in their backyard as if to say, yeah, giving them the finger in the middle of their of their town. They were like, you know, what are they doing in old schoolhouse? That's our place, which stirred the hornet's nest, so to speak. So they knew it like the back of their hand because it was their old headquarters. Basically, yeah. This is where they would all meet. When we went in, there was quite creepy actually imagine you're going in at dawn and we we went through the compound door and there was a load of kids in like matching dish dashes but like quite smart so they were part of some sort of school and they just got up cool as you like and just walked out but that should have been a sign then i think i was like this building is quite significant to the locals but at that point i didn't know it was significant to the taliban i thought maybe it was just sort of where the elder lived or you know the, the richer man of yakshaw so you were setting up your your nest right up to the moment you got shot tell me about that engagement we set up as i said i was like the inner cordon so i'm sort of facing in ready to cover the guys that are going in and and assault these compounds and we get sporadic fire from behind us so this was sporadic nothing to worry about you know it like you said it's afghanistan we've all been there but then all of a sudden as if a conductor had just clicked his fingers and said now we got hit with a weight of fire i have never experienced and it was accurate you know insurgent fire isn't always accurate but you know you know when he's aiming at you that was very accurate there was actually 15 firing points that just all at once opened up on us. So you can imagine what that was like. Holy crap. Um, and you were pointed in the exact opposite direction. It was 360 by that okay. point. But the, the main weight of fire was behind us, yeah. A soldier thinking that oh, I'm in a bad way here because I'm surrounded. So as I said, 15 firing points, that's a massive weight of fire. At the time, there was two of us firing. I had a bolt-action rifle. A sniper rifle is excellent when it's used as a sniper rifle, but in a sustained contact, it's useless. You know, we dealt with it the best we could. You know, it was our job to basically dig in and uh, and push it back. And we tried to. Uh, and then I just felt like, honestly, like I'd been struck by lightning. Like a thunderbolt had sort of gone through me. When you get sh- shot at, there's a crack and thump and you hear that sound. But that sound went through me, <laughs> through one ear and out the other. I mean, it was a burst. There's rounds sort of like pinging up all around me, hitting the the walls around me and hitting my kit. So I just rolled off the roof instinctively. Luckily for me, I fell on a goat. <laughs> the goat is in a real bad way, but it's kept me on my feet. It's probably stopped me, you know, breaking my neck, essentially. I rolled off like a 10-foot high wall. I looked up at the machine gunner and I'm like, I can see the look in his eyes. He is in absolute shock looking at me. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you fucking looking at? Like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Put my hands on my neck. Obviously, I can't see my neck. I can feel the holes and I can feel blood. And I look down and there's blood all over my glove and I'm like, Wow, shot in the neck. I know what this means. You know, I've probably got three minutes left. You need to go out for a bang. We're in a tight spot here. Ash is still alive and kicking. This is big. I was like, they're, they're, they're all around us. The thing is as well, I knew, I knew exactly who had shot me. There was a, a dicker, an insurgent who hasn't got a weapon, but he's got a phone or binoculars. He's like the commander. Um, and I knew exactly what he was doing. He was co- coordinating things. And you could see him. He was like looking in. He was talking in his radio and stuff like that. And I did request permission to engage him before and didn't get it. He was the only guy in the area that could have taken a shot from that angle. So I knew it was him straight away. Like I said, as soon as I got hit, I was like, that fucker got the drop on me. Typical soldier. I thought, I've got three minutes left. What am I going to do? So I grabbed the nearest rocket I could, which is a 66. And I thought, I'm going to get this off if I'm going to die. And I went to fire out of the doorway and got a really accurate burst straight through the door, which then pushed me back. Scarily, and I, you know, this is quite embarrassing from a a sniper who was in his nest so to speak there was Taliban probably about five ten meters by the door in a little irrigation ditch and those guys are ready to come in 
which I hadn't seen until I went to that doorway, which, you know, that's quite annoying that they actually got the jump on us like that. I mean, looking back now, old school house, what they literally did was like, snipers are on old school house, ignore everyone else, we want old school house. Almost like a childish bravado thing, like, those guys want to set up an old school house, let's deal with that. So what we actually had was an entire squadron of well-drilled British soldiers that were just completely redundant because they were off doing their own thing and all they picked was our corner and it was just, yeah, it was our day for the fight. You know, the aggression kicked in, you just go for it, I think. I mean, if there's ever time to go like that, it was when there's two guys trying to fight off 15 firing points in a pretty much 360 ambush. I mean, I've never been under fire like that before and I hope I'm never under fire like that again. So there was Simon, surrounded, outnumbered by dozens of pissed-off Taliban fighters, desperate to reclaim the building which held deep symbolic meaning for them, and he was shot. Shot through the throat. The kind of wound you just don't survive. The vital highway that takes blood to the brain and air to the lungs had just taken an enemy bullet. So how was Simon still standing, let alone still fighting? I've seen enemy soldiers getting shot in the throat and you know I've never seen anything as clean as what mine was you know it's, it's messy there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong around the area I think as a soldier I just kind of glance over the fact that you got shot in the neck in my head I'm like oh yeah that's a thing that happened as two guys who have been shot in the head area we're still here talking to each other but how did that not kill you I mean did it just miss your carotid artery obviously the bullet was in and out so is it an entry and an exit We'll never be sure on what caliber it was, but I think it was the, you know, like the little Chinese AK rounds, so mm. like the 5.45. Yeah. I think if it was a 7.62, I would have been dead. Flat out, it would have just ripped everything out. I mean, that's a big hole from a 7.62. Right. How you took that to the head? I mean, you should have been a boxer because yep. you can take stuff like that to the head. Yeah, you, you've got a strong head on you. And it was also a tracer round mm. because the, the round zipped in front of the machine gunner's face because he went, fuck. And then when he turned and looked, I'm obviously holding my throat and rolling off oh, shit. on the way to the goat. The surgeon said to me, he says, I would not be able to make the incision that the bullet made with my scalpel without killing you. He said, what we think is the, the force of the bullet, it pushed my artery one way and my windpipe the other, and it went through the middle of all the soft tissue. Wow. Um, and because it was a tracer round, cauterized on the way through, which oh. probably stemmed some of the bleeding. Simon's throat wound wasn't going to kill him, but he wasn't out of the woods quite yet. He was still in a fight for his life, but as more and more of his friends ran under fire to join him in the old schoolhouse, the British began to turn the tables on the Taliban. And Simon himself was eager to get back to playing his part. At that point, I'm, I'm running around with Ash, the machine gunner. He stepped up massively, man. Like, he got back on that same roof and he put down a weight of fire that, you know, would have stopped God himself. Like I said, I didn't expect to see anyone. Those guys were about four, five hundred meters away. They had to punch through the Taliban to get to us. And then all of a sudden, I just see, where's the medic? Like, running into the compound on his own. In, As medics do. He got awarded a, a military cross for that. You know, he ran through Taliban to get to me. I was panicked up until that point, and he literally walked up, took a look at it, and he was like, I've got this. He's like, you're going to be fine. We're still at this point, like, heavily in the shit. Uh, it's a massive firefight. Grenades coming inside the compound, and there's, like, rockets. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, one by one, the boys come in. They've just run out of that village, and they've managed to make it through just quickly turned into a very good day because it's like, hey, you picked a fight, you've knocked one of us down, but we're all here now and we're good to go. So yeah, we're about to see what's going to happen there. And that's what we did. We did what we did best. The boys dug in and we just had an epic firefight. It was, you know, it's like adrenaline's kicking in. So I'm not trying to run around. I actually had to get grabbed by my section commander. He's like, sit the fuck down. 
the medic is going to tell me when you can get back in. You know, you're in shock, there's adrenaline, I'm like running around like a, a lunatic trying to keep busy. Uh, and then the medic said to this section guy, he's like, he's good, I'm going to check him again in 10 minutes and that's when I can get involved. Because also I was the only sniper there. These guys are going into a hot firefight and it was a situation where you can't get away with putting your head up to identify the enemy because he's going to get shot off. So, you know, how do you get a foothold there? Well, you need the sniper who's got his optics who can point out targets so that the boys could give them the hurt, you know. There's no point giving the hurt if you can't see where they are. That's why it was important I got back involved and... If you're busy fighting, then you're not sitting there thinking about it. It was nice to just keep busy, I guess. And anything to distract me from that goat. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a good day. It's probably my best day in Afghanistan. You know, we had sort of like a three-hour contact all in all that day of just fighting. It was wicked. So anyway, I, I knew where that guy was, right? That spotter, he, he obviously had a weapon. It was him that shot me. He's seen me roll off the roof. I'm pretty sure he thought, yeah, I've scored a kill, as you would. You know, you see the splash, you've seen you hit someone. He didn't relocate. He thought, the only guy that knows I'm here is dead, so I'm, I'm going to sit here. Uh, and actually, later that day, I popped out of the same doorway with a rifle and pinged him. I put one into him, stupidly went to put another round into him just through pure aggression, uh, and then got another burst of incoming right over my head and actually got hit in the helmet. <laughs> And then after that, I thought, uh, yeah, you probably need to wind your neck in a bit now, so you're taking the piss today. After an intense gun battle, helicopter gunships came in to assist Simon's unit. Our Apaches were on call, and then two Cobras came in of the US Marine Corps, and those guys were empty within about 10 minutes. It's July the 4th, right? Independence Day, like, they couldn't wait to go and get stuck in, and they just rained down, <laughs> rained down on anything. It seemed like a good point to evacuate Simon to a hospital. But the British medevac helicopters were too vulnerable, so U.S. Air Force PJs, or para-jumpers, the Air Force's special operators, literally jumped into action. All puns intended. I was almost like a little kid at a school party when the mum's like, right, we're going and you want to stay a bit longer when the PJs turned up and I had to get evacuated. I was like, no, I'm good. We'll stay, we'll stay. It was, you know, it was awesome. And, the, you know, the boss is like, get on the fucking bird. Uh, you need to get checked out. We never get to go in Black Orts. So that was probably the best part of the day. I can only imagine, like, what was in the brains of those PJs and the Marines are like, Fourth of July, motherfuckers, play some Bruce Springsteen and let hell loose. Pull the Brits out. Like, That's exactly that. That had to be... A Roland Emmerich movie just waiting to happen. When I did actually get onto the bird, obviously did his job, checked me over. He was like, British, getting rescued by the Yanks on the 4th of July. And he's like, high five. <laughs> they were absolutely loving it. That's awesome. That's hysterical. Yeah, they were cool guys. They're like, dude, they're like, do you know how many girls are going to be in this hospital? So many. They ripped my top off, obviously. They're checking for any other wounds, etc. They're like... When we walk off, when you walk off, they're like, we'll carry a kit. Like, you just grab your rifle. I'm walking off. I've got my sniper rifle. I've got blood all down my chest. And these these two are behind me like, dude, get shot in the neck, walks off the bird. They're like bigging me up and stuff like this. And there's this big group of nurses all like really worried. So I walk in. I'm like, I could get used to this. And then one of them goes, oh, it's you. And then they all just ran off again. <laughs> Later that day, I had all the guys around my bed. I'd been operated on like it was good. You know, there wasn't that longing of like a few days not seeing anyone or anything like that, as sometimes there is. Or, you know, guys, as you know, wake up back in the UK or back in the States from being injured and they're completely isolated from their guys. And you know what? You can just enjoy it. You fucking survived. You've had one 
hell of a scrap like that's what you go out there for it was it was enjoyable and i was very lucky to have the guys around me you know that, that gave me a lot of strength so what medals did you wind up getting i ended up getting the conspicuous gallantry cross so one below the victoria cross okay i mean i won't lie i was i was on a course to get promoted to corporal i was, I was in the middle of a lesson and they're like court maloney you need to come outside shit he's like do you know what this is about and i had actually got in a bit of trouble at the weekend with some of the boys and down a bar and i'm like i'm like yeah i know what this is about <laughs> I'm like that. That's me off the course. I'm gonna. Go, I'm gonna end up having to uh, go down to the police station for a little bit. Court Maloney. I'm like, yes, Colonel. He's like, have a good weekend. I was like, yes, Colonel. He's like, well, I'm delighted to inform you that the honours and awards list came out today, and you've been awarded a conspicuous Gallantry Cross. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, so funny, actually, when I when I went on that course, my regiment. I'm cavalry, yeah. So I went on that course. And the sergeant major was like, what are you doing on this course, you donkey walloper? I'll give you a week before you fail. So I go in with the OC, get told I'm getting this medal. I get pulled off that course for two days because I'm going to get sent to London with my buddy who who saved me, the medic. And he's like, you know, it's this big story. This is really good for the, for the war effort. You're going down to London. We're going to put you in a hotel. You're going to do loads of stuff for interviews and stuff like that. Can I still come back on the course? They're like, yeah, just tip your hat to the sergeant major and let him know. Oh, I can do that. So I'm like, knock on the door. He's like a big, hard, horrible paratrooper. And he's like, donkey walloper. All right, sir. It's like, I'm just here to let you know that I'm not going on exercise this week. And he's like, oh, you're quitting? And I was like, no, I'm off on the piss in London for two days. Uh, I'll be back next week and I'll catch up then. He was like, oh, like went to fly at me. And the OC sort of like pops in and he's like, that's all right, isn't it? Uh, Sergeant Major? Yeah, Court Major's just been awarded a CGC. We're going to cut him away for a week. He'll catch up next week. And he's like... Yeah, fine, sir. Yeah, yeah. And he's just looking at me like, I mean, he made my life hell for the rest of that course when I came back. But <laughs> it was worth it for those two seconds of pleasure. Yeah. So let's recap. Simon survived a bullet ripping through his throat. He took his revenge on the man who had nearly killed him. He then had the time of his life fighting off a superior Taliban force and rightly won his country's second highest medal for gallantry. His problem with peace wasn't that he was traumatized by his experience of war. He was just bored without the fight. I love the army. I loved it. I love going on operations. When I came back, I went for a stage of wanting to go for selections, so special forces selection. But in the lead up to it, I just didn't want to be away from my family that much. I'm mad enough to admit that. I just, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't for me. So, so after that, you go through a few things. Like We did a lot of sniper competitions. I did um, a little stint instructing with snipers and, and things like that. But... I mean, you thrash around trying all these different possibilities, but at the end of the day, like, sniping's no good if you're not on operations. Like, hitting targets isn't exactly the same, you know? So I just, I love the army. I'm not bitter, but, you know, it's time to move on and just in, enjoy life a bit. So what happened to the goat? Whatever happened to the goat that you landed on? I don't. Do you know what haunts me most about that day? You've got this epic firefight. You know, you've got all your boys doing some really good stuff. You know, everyone's, and I love it. You know, all these guys are here to try and drag me out of the shit. Right. Uh, and in the background, all you can hear is this goat in absolute agony. Oh, God. Uh, like, I'm, I'm six foot five. I'm a hundred kilo guy. With my body armor and all my kit, I'm, you know, I'm probably near 200 kilos. That goat <laughs> did not, did not enjoy me landing on it from a, from a 10 foot wall. Honestly, the whole day I was thinking, I need to go back and put around in that goat's head before I leave because he, yeah. I need, to, I need to do the humane thing. His legs are all sprawled out. His I think I broke it back. Oh. And, uh, I mean, I can lie and tell you I, I put out of his misery, but, you know, pretty sure when I was flying off in that Black Hawk, I could still see it dragging its ass around. Uh, 
that has probably haunted me more than anything else from that day. I don't want to hurt animals. You know, you can take human life, dispatch insurgents. We've seen it, witnessed it. I can sleep sound at night. That goat man haunts me. It's human nature to do whatever we can to survive. For most humans, anyway. We all have the instinctive fight-or-flight mode. We all want to believe that in the moment, we would run towards the danger to protect others instead of away. But no one really knows what they'll do in war until they're at war. I very clearly remember asking myself before I deployed to Iraq, are you ready for this? What are you going to do when the stink turns to shit? Luckily, or depending on who you ask, unluckily, I found out in Iraq on day four how I would react to people shooting at me and how I would react when I got shot. But no one really knows until it happens. I am 100% certain that Simon had no idea how he would react with a gunshot wound through his throat in a hot combat zone. But as a professional warrior, he reacted and fought the way his body was trained to. Someone recently said to me that they really enjoy the stories that we're telling here on Battle Scars, even though this person isn't quote-unquote for war. Let me assure you, not even warriors are for war. Nobody is really for war. The reality is that war happens, and professional warriors need to be ready when it does, because it will. And a lot of people try to avoid it or deny it, and the rest of us have to stand ready when war won't be denied anymore. I don't want war, but I've seen it, I've lived it, and I know how I will react in it. I live a peaceful life now. I mean, as peaceful as a stand-up comedian's life can be. I guess it's relatively peaceful. But it's quiet. And it's calm when I want it to be. But to quote some friends, just like Simon, I am comfortable with violence. Battle Scars is a Panoply podcast produced by Ryan Dilley, Shara Morris, and A.C. Valdez. The theme music is composed by Daniel Dandy. The artwork by Jesse Brown. Special thanks to Andy Bowers, Panoply's Chief Content Officer. I'm your host, Tom Tran. If you like the show, review us or rate us or just tell someone about us. And this is the part of the show that if we were the Sopranos, Journeys Don't Stop Believing would start playing right now. But we don't have the kind of money to license that. So 